Hello, Gino here. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a moment, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. Also, if you know someone who you think would enjoy the show, why not recommend Nostalgia Club? It would really help us out. Again, thank you for listening. On to the episode. You're listening to Nostalgia Club, the podcast where we look back on our favorite childhood stories and revisit them as adults. At least one of us hasn't read or watched these series, so we also get a first-timer's opinion. Spoiler alert, we will be discussing storylines and future events beyond the first books and episodes, so proceed with caution. Hello and welcome back to Nostalgia Club. My name is Gino and I'm here with... Us. Us. Us, Victoria, and myself, name of Michael. <laughs> Quick disclaimer, I did get some oral surgery done last week, and oh I got my stitches out, but I still talk kind of funny. But it's okay, because I'm excited to talk about the topic of today, which is... How to Train Your Dragon, the Woo! original book. And we will also probably discuss the movie as well, because who doesn't love who How doesn't? to Train Your Dragon? <sighs> oh, such a good movie. Now, Gino, you read the book as a child? I read this series as a young child. I did Ooh, not the read... whole series. How many books are in the series? I did not read the whole series, because I believe they were still coming out as of 2015. Oh, okay. So I couldn't keep up, but I think I read most of the books. There are at least eight, maybe nine books. Quick addendum, there are actually 12 books. There are a series of companion novels, companion books. This is a series about training dragons. So, of course, you have books about all the different kinds of dragons and different sorts of training methods and different Viking heroes who have famously trained this or that dragon, etc. But the original book came out in 2003, written by Cressida Cowell. It is about a very small, skinny boy named Hiccup who lives on a Viking island of Burke where extreme masculinity and physical <laughs> feats of violence and unthinking nonsense are the norm. And he is a, a gentle boy who likes to think and talk to dragons and consider his actions before he takes them. How dare he? <laughs> How Heresy. dare he? Wait, we have to highlight what his full name is, though, because I don't think they really mention it in the movie. I think they mention it once. Maybe once, yeah. It's Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III, which is amazing. Yes. These books are very, very different from the movies. <laughs> and if you've read the entire series, you can see where they've picked and pulled certain inspirations from the book series. But the tone and the characters besides a general aesthetic similarity, are pretty different. But I think they are both excellent pieces of media in their own right. Yeah. Quick note, I just turned to the first page of my book. It has an about the author section. And in this case, it makes it seem like Hiccup is the author, which is fun. The whole book is written from the perspective of Hiccup. And then it has another section about the translator, and that is Cressida Cowell. I just thought that was fun that they have that little detail in there. It allows Cressida to play with the medium in ways that I think are kind of unique to books in a way. She does a number of things with this, and we've gotten a little bit of it in the past, seeing little pictorials and pictures in some of the children's material we've read. But Cressida goes like a whole nother step with this here, including little pictorial caricaturish renditions of the characters as you're seeing them. With comments about yeah. what Hiccup thinks of these people. Yeah, it's great. There's a whole part right in the middle of the book and I don't want to jump too far ahead but it's just pinnacle like this is how you do it where Hiccup in advance of trying to learn how to train his dragon looks at a book in world called How to Train Your Dragon written by some Professor Yabish who is a Viking professor and Cressida from the point of view of being the quote-unquote translator of Hiccup's memoir writes this little paragraph along the lines of, you have to keep in mind the expectation and grandeur with which Hiccup was approaching this book and how excited he was to find its material contents. I have included a pictorial rendition of the book for you to flip through the same way Hiccup would have flipped through the book. Imagine it in all its glory with its leather and golden clasps and the filigree put in by some scribe. And there's this like hand-drawn rendition of what this book would have looked looked like and so you as the reader are flipping through this book that well, exists in universe the book only has one page though yeah. <laughs> it has several pages of build up about the author and 
credentials and all sorts of reviews, and then one page of instructions with a single <laughs> sentence, and then the back side of the book with more about the author. It's so great because honestly, when I was reading it, I was excited too. Yeah. I was just as excited as Hiccup was to learn, oh, what does this renowned Viking scholar have to say about training dragons? And it was like one page. <laughs> and I was just like Hiccup. That's it? I was full-on cackling when I read it. <laughs> like, it, I was busting up. I think I I might have been reading it here in the office after everyone had, like, gone home. Because I, I, <laughs> I, come, I come in late half the time, and then I'm just here later. And so it's just the middle of the night in an office building, and I'm just cracking up over, over this kid's book and the joke played within. Yes. This book is incredibly funny. As you said, it is written in, I believe it's third-person omniscient perspective. Mm. So... The, there's many layers. It is Hiccup's story. Hiccup is writing about himself in the past, so we get some of Hiccup's own commentary and drawings. But then, quote, Hiccup's story is translated by Cressida, so we get her notes as well. So there's several layers of storytelling, and it makes for some really, really funny jokes <laughs> and really, really funny commentary. It reminds me of manga translators when they add their translator <laughs> notes in the margins of the manga, and sometimes they'll make funny comments. <laughs> There's no real translation for this word, but the closest I could get was like a friend, but like also like an enemy. Yeah. Who is like, who, they are so deeply entwined, and the English just doesn't get it. Perfect. And all this Japanese is just like, my bro, or whatever. <laughs> so a quick plot summary before we get into it. And for those of you who have seen the DreamWorks adaptation, the differences will quickly become apparent. This is a world where dragons exist. And on the island of Berk, the Vikings train dragons. They actively hunt, capture, and then train their dragons. Hiccup is the son of the chief, Stoic. Uh, the Vast. Stoic the Vast. Gotta get his flame. There's a lot of names in this book. There really are. <laughs> And some of them pop up randomly in the middle of the book. And yeah. you're like, where was this person before? Yes. And what's great is the entire series, they use all those names. All those Although, characters get used. I will say, having seen the movie, it did help me remember the names. Yeah. Because I could associate the character in the book with the character in the movie. Yes. <laughs> so, Hiccuparandus Haddock III, son of Stoic the Vast, the chief of the village. He is small. He is fragile. His best friend is Fishlegs, who in the book is a very skinny Literally, legs look like fish, like a, like a, if a fish had legs, how useless they would be. <laughs> he has a dragon allergy. Hiccup's main rival is Snotface Snotlout, who is his cousin and who wants to be the chief. Hiccup, he doesn't like confrontation. So the book begins. They scale this cliff to try to get their dragons. Hiccup has to save fish legs, who sneezes and wakes up all the dragons who are hibernating. Hiccup kidnaps the smallest dragon anyone has ever seen. A tiny, tiny little lizard of a dragon. And a very ordinary dragon. A very boring dragon. <laughs> very big difference between the movie and the book. Yeah. In the movie, in the movie Hiccup gets the coolest, yeah. rarest dragon of them all. In the book, he gets what's described as the most ordinary of ordinary dragons. Yes. Or the most common of common dragons is the specific wording. And this dragon is toothless. Literally has no teeth. The rest of the boys get their big scary dragons. And then Hiccup has to train this dragon. He has many months to train this dragon to follow his commands and hunt for him. And then he must pass an initiation rite. And if he fails, he gets kicked out of the village. And that would be a huge dishonor on his family because he is royalty, essentially. And also a dishonor on his life, which would most likely promptly end because <laughs> yes. they're in the biting north. <laughs> this book, the humor is a little crude. Yeah. And it does not shy away from the fact that these boys are essentially child soldiers who will die yeah. if they fail this test. Again, as Michael mentioned, this How to Train Your Dragon, the, the book that the book is named after <laughs> by Professor Yabish, is the pinnacle of dragon training technology on the Isle of Burke. <laughs> there is one page with one direction, which is yell at it. <laughs> Hiccup cannot yell at this tiny dragon because the tiny dragon does not take him seriously. Fortunately, Hiccup speaks Dragonese, which the other Vikings consider nerdish behavior. Only nerds speak Dragonese. It's also <laughs> apparently banned by Hiccup's father. Yes. Did you guys see what Dragonese was in the book? Did you see what the translations were? Yeah. I spent a little bit of time trying to be like, what is the kind of code or it's... trick to it? But then I was like, never mind. But it's like kind of like baby talk. It's very, it, I don't know. All I think is like, howdy doody. Yeah. <laughs> howdy doody is a low, which is incredible. Yeah. 
And the what there's like a little pictorial at the end where it's a picture of Toothless saying this is this is a big full stop and that's Dragonese for the end. <laughs> it's really funny. And so Hiccup attempts so all sorts of strategies to train Toothless. Doesn't work. The time comes for his big initiation, and he finally convinces Toothless to follow his orders by promising jokes. And Toothless loves jokes, but Toothless gets overconfident. He causes a big, essentially, dragon riot, and all of the boys fail their initiation. The entire generation of young warriors fails, and they must be exiled. But, the whole future of the clan or whatever yeah, is yeah. just gone. It causes a big upset. There's, like, this pale moment where all these, like, Viking elders are just like, we have to have a private meeting. <laughs> and they all, like, huddle up in a, in a rugby sort of group and just like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> and so Stoic has to banish his own son. And also, coincidentally, the all the sons of a neighboring tribe are also there for tradition. Yeah. As they are about to be banished, a giant storm rolls in. They delay the banishment as an act of mercy by one day. The storm washes up. Not one, not two, but three giant sea dragons the size of mountains. If mountains had mountains. <laughs> one of the dragons eats another dragon. The Vikings decide they need to yell at the dragon to make it go away. <laughs> so they all gather up and try to yell at it. And obviously this mountain of a mountain of a dragon does not budge. So Hiccup devises a plan. He tricks the two remaining dragons into fighting each other. Unfortunately, one of the dragons survives the fight. This mountain of a mountain of a dragon. I keep saying that, but like that's how big it is. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Hiccup is swallowed by this dragon, manages to plug its fire holes with his helmets, and he is blasted out to safety. And Stoic learns an important lesson that you shouldn't banish your son and also to value your children for the skills they have, not the <laughs> skills you want them to have. And Toothless saves Hiccup in that instance, right? Yes. Toothless mm -hmm. has a change of heart. He realizes that even though he has been disdainful and snooty towards Hiccup, Hiccup has treated him very, very kindly this entire book. And so Toothless decides just this once, I will save your life. And he does so. And it's a big standout behavior they make a, a mention of because dragons are described as just characteristically selfish. Yes. Which I found was interesting. They certainly could have gone around of portraying the typical Viking behavior of yelling at the dragons as like a kind of obviously cruel thing. But the dragons are, when they speak in Dragonese and Hiccup listens to them, they're saying like, yeah, literally we would not care what humans do if they weren't bigger than us and gave us food. And it's an interesting dichotomy that gets presented. So when, when Toothless does something selfless at the end for Hiccup, it's described as this moment that changes Viking worldview um, <laughs> like impressively like nothing ever had before. You will find in the sequel books that it didn't change it that much, but okay. it did change it a little bit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's the that's the plot summary. And I'm interested to know what you guys think as people who have never read this book until this podcast. What were your thoughts? I enjoyed it. I really liked all the drawings that are in the book. They really enhanced the experience of reading. I read it literally last night. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still, it's still percolating. Yeah, it's still percolating a little bit. I... Liked how I could kind of see bits and pieces of where they pulled plot points from the books into the movies, like the big dragon fight at the end of the book. That was reminiscent of kind of what happens in, I think, the third <laughs> movie. The second movie? The first movie. Are there big dragons that fight in the first movie? Yeah, yeah. there's, 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 there's the, one big one. There's the giant sea dragon who... All the Vikings go off to kill, and then... Oh, and then Toothless fights the big dragon, right? I guess there's a big dragon in no, but there's all like, the movies. There's a Wait. big dragon, I think, in the second movie, and there's two of them that fight each other. Oh, yeah. you're, right. Yeah, you're yeah. right, you're right, you're right, you're right. So that's mainly what I was thinking of. There was also, like, when Toothless saves Hiccup in the book, I was like, oh, he also does that in the movie. <laughs> Albeit in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because they are very different dragons. They are very different dragons. I will say this book was missing two of my favorite characters... Sure, Astrid and Roughnut, because Roughnut is great. <laughs> I will say the movies, the three movies, pull from a lot of different aspects from the entire series of books. So there are characters later in the book series that I believe were interpreted as Astrid and Roughnut. Oh, okay. And nice. a villain from the third movie actually comes from the second book Ooh. Uh, and is a reoccurring villain. So lots of lots of stuff like that. They clearly took inspiration from the entire series, but adapted it into its own unique thing. Yeah. Which is very cool to see. The movies broadly, I mean, most people, more people, most people who, 
the listeners of this podcast, can you just tell me right now which you've experienced more of the books or the movie? <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, those few of you who didn't just respond to me mentally right now, <laughs> from the future, the movies generally take a different tact in the sense that the setting in which they take place is one in which the Vikings of Burke fight dragons regularly. They're not on good terms with them. And Hiccup is the first one to train a dragon. And then that sort of changes Viking society and it becomes a little more symbiotic. So that's like the prime difference there. My experience with How to Train Your Dragon first was the movie when it came out in like 2010. I'm like a sophomore in high school. It blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. It utterly oh, like yeah. cracked my heart open and spilled out a bunch of feelings I didn't know I had. Aww. Which is surprising given that I was, I don't know, 15. I don't know what kind of media that like a 15 year old should have their heart split open and spill out a bunch of emotions for. I don't know what is supposed to like do that for a 15 year old. I don't think most people think that How to Train Your Dragon is supposed to do it, but it did it for me. I loved the music. I loved the way they handled the storytelling. And it's a much beloved movie in that regard. So I certainly. I certainly don't feel embarrassed admitting this on a podcast. Um, oh, no, don't be embarrassed. It's an incredible movie. It's magnificent. And then the whole father-son dynamic is explored a lot more contestedly in the movie, which is always, ugh, always a, a, a cut right right to the, the carotid <laughs> artery of my soul. In that context, reading the first book, the first book is beautiful. I had such a great time reading this book. Because the book is entirely its own thing. The movie translates the chaoticness of the Vikings in this book, <laughs> the drudgery of the natural atmosphere and the violence of the dragons, the danger of them. But it does it in a way that feels a little more tangible, just a little more. There is still some caricaturish to the way the characters are designed in the 3D animated movie, especially with the adult Vikings who are just like giant bricks that's <laughs> like their character profile. There's a little more logic relational humanity in them. The conversations between Stoke and Hiccup in the movie are very like, oh, wow, this is kind of like nuanced and emotionally affecting. And there's a lot of nuance in the book as well. But the feelings and the setting and the emotions and the behaviors of the Vikings in particular are like dialed up to 11 and in their own way still authentic. Mm -hmm. And it's wild when I think of like how you would translate this book to a movie. I'm almost glad that they didn't try to do this book mm. as a movie because the ways in which it's extreme and still makes sense within and of itself might not have been as believable or viable in at least a traditional DreamWorks like 3D animated conceit. Tell me if this is totally off base in your minds, but I feel like if you wanted to do like a one-to-one -one translation of this book into an animated movie, it would have to be a much more stylized and possibly more like 2D animated mm. looking thing just because of the breadth of its kind of creativity, where it decides to stretch your disbelief and where it decides to get very real feeling and intimate. I don't know. I think you're right. I think a very modern animated movie like Spider-Verse, like Captain Underpants, like Bad Guys, that sort of style of taking the source material and really bringing that to the screen could have adapted this book faithfully. But I also think what they did with what was in style for animated movies at the time that the movie came out, I mean, I think they did a great job. I don't have any problems with it. <laughs> I'm not upset. <laughs> but it would have to be, yeah, 2D animation, a lot of ink effects probably <laughs> a lot of cartoonish you know vikings getting launched into the stratosphere and coming back naked and then like <laughs> hopping back into their clothes or something like that a lot of small children being bludgeoned in the head and being fine with it i don't know <laughs> british yeah. humor british humor <laughs> british viking humor a very interesting cross-section yes if they had tried to adapt the book kind of word for word into an animated film, it would be one of those situations where everyone goes, wow, the book was better than the movie. In this case, both the book and the movie are good. Yes. Yeah, but just in different ways. So I love that the book has like its own kind of humor that can really only be done in the form of a book. Like Michael said, with the translator notes and all that stuff, you can't have that in a movie. It'd be really weird if suddenly like a narrator voice was like, just so you know, this is the context and I am the translator's voice. But the movie 
kind of brings the whole just world to life and you get to see all the dragons and see all the characters, which is very fun. I think it's awesome that both the adaptation and the original source material are just fun and great. I think the animated movie did do a good job of capturing the overall tone of the book series. Thematically, the two share a similar goal, but they go about it in different ways. In both scenarios, these are both two societies in the movie and the book, Burke, where through our protagonist's eyes, everyone is essentially absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) They are going about things in a completely ridiculous way. They are over the top. They are, their traditions are dated and they're stubbornly stuck to them. They are not following a logical course of action, but they're also all real people and they really do believe this is the right way and they want to make things right and they do care about each other even if they don't initially seem like they do. And our protagonist is someone who really, really wants to fit in, but just can't. And it's about like the compromise between those two points of view and both of those ways of thinking facing reality. And reality in this case being a giant dragon who could eat your whole island in one (laughs) bite. Oh gosh, can we talk about the Green Death? Because oh my word, the Green (laughs) Death. In the movie, Green Death is just a big bugaboo. Green Death is just like a the reason that the Vikings and the dragons gotta stick together, it's the common enemy. And sure, in the book, the Green Death as well is like the reason that we have to waylay the banishment of Hiccup and the boys and Hiccup prove himself. But the Green Death's like a full character in this. Yeah. The The dragons in the book are speaking conniving things in the movie they're kind of just like big cats yeah yeah in the book they're cats with a vengeance oh yeah Yeah. i thought it was really fun that the dragons could speak and that hiccup could speak to the dragons as well one thing that did happen in the books where basically when the green death shows up hiccup says the whole village gathers together and all the dragons are gone and it's kind of weird yeah and i thought it was like in the movie where the dragons kind of got summoned by the green death Kind of how, like, the alpha dragon or whatever can control all the dragons and call them to him. And I was like, oh, is that how it's going to go? Is it going to be like that? (laughs) And it was like, no, the dragons were just scared and they ran away. (laughs) They're hiding in some bushes, like, 20 feet away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all conspiring, like, okay, someone's going to win here. They're like, what if we just left the humans to die? (laughs) (laughs) It's great. They, They plot with each other and they're like, okay, the boys seem to have a plan. We'll go along with it. And if it looks like it's going to go bad, I'll give the signal and we'll just get the heck out of here. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And then not predictably, really, because I didn't know what to expect. But the Green Death, what is it called? Sea Sea Dragonus Giganticus or something like that? Sea Dragonus Giganticus Maximus or whatever. Basically, super huge, giant sea dragon. It's basically like an eldritch god. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Hiccup walks up to it because he's the only one who can speak Dragonese after the yelling fails and the Vikings realize they can't just yell at it to go away. They're like, if only we knew someone who could speak Dragonese. (laughs) Too bad we banned it. And then Fishlegs is like, actually, you know, the son of the chief, the chief who banned the language, the son actually learned the language despite it being banned. And they're like, what? Stoic is really humanized in the sense that we peer into his mind a bit, where it says that during the night where they were all sleeping off, like the events of the horrible day in which it was determined the boys had to be banished, Cressida goes into Stoic's mind, and Stoic is actually thinking to himself, gosh, what kind of father does this to his son? Like, holds his laws up and, like, determines not to banish Hiccup. So then later on, when this crisis occurs, and Stoic goes... Uh, Hiccup, if you go talk to this dragon, we'll unbanish you. You can, you already know that Stoic's like heart is melted into a little puddle, and it feels really sweet. But when Hiccup goes to talk to this dragon, oh my gosh! Like you don't necessarily know what to expect from talking to this giant sea dragon compared to all these other sort of selfish, egotistical, uh, Labrador-sized dragons or whatever. But the moment Hiccup is walking up, he's thinking to himself, basically along the lines of. What am I going to do? And the and the green death responds to him and says, I don't know. What are you going to do? And you're like, <laughs> it can read his mind? It can read his mind. It also knows about Hiccup and his family. and yeah. his interpersonal his, drama. Yeah. His, like, inner fears and how he feels <laughs> inadequate as the son of a chief and all that stuff. It's basically like if you walked up to a villain to fight them and they just emotionally read you and <laughs> scarred you for life. Oh my gosh. 
like just the that's the weird kind of magic here that you you get in a number of various doses in this book that like the movie's a lot more physical, a lot more tangible. It's fantastical, but there's never a moment I feel like in the movie or the movies, for example, a character or a force of nature just kind of like reveals that they are plugged in to something beyond the veil or whatever and just like decides to go, here's my pseudo nihilistic philosophy on life. Everything is supper. And you're like, <laughs> okay. What a fantastic way to phrase that, too. We are all supper. You are supper for me. I am supper for the worms. Why worry? Get in my belly. Yeah. Don't worry about it. What if I don't oh. want to be supper? What if I want to be breakfast? <laughs> See, you'd be able to maintain a conversation with the Green Death. That's something I love about the character Thuggery. Thuggery is the son of the rival chief of Stoic the Vast. The Meatheads. The Meatheads. And Thuggery, we get a glimpse of him during the competition, and he's got, much like Hiccup's cousin, Snotlout, Thuggery's dragon is a monstrous nightmare. Just this violent torrent of fangs and attitude and, and fire. And you kind of expect Thuggery, who's like the biggest kid out of maybe not all of them, but most of them, to be a chip-on-his-shoulder kind of person, maybe like Snotlout. And surprisingly, when Hiccup comes back and all the other boys are following him because the adults are in a frazzled mess, like, what are we going to do? All the boys following Hiccup are like, all right, Hiccup, you're the one who talked to the dragon. Like, you're the one with the ideas. What's the plan? And when Snotlout predictably puts up a a big stink over it because he's a jerk, Thuggery comes to Hiccup's defense and, like, lifts up Snotlout by his collar and goes, like, shut up. <laughs> and and says to Hiccup, like, you're the one who talked to a giant shark for 20 minutes. You can clearly think better than me. Like, okay, you're the one in charge here. What's the plan? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I love Thuggery. Yeah. Thuggery's great. Thuggery understands empathetically what Hiccup just went through because he was also the son of a chief and mm. got banished by his father. So they both went through the same experience. Yeah. And so Thuggery is not going to shut Hiccup down because he knows what he's feeling. And also he's not I guess not it's just dumb. a rite of passage. <laughs> if you want to be the next chief, you got to get banished by your father. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Everyone's got to run the risk. But the Green Death is, I agree, totally fabulously written. The idea that when you get consumed by the Green Death, you stop fighting because that's digestion. The process of digestion just convinces you that this is okay. It convinces you to give up. And this sort of, I don't know if you noticed, but in the books, certain phrases are just capitalized. Yeah. Mm. This idea perpetuates through the series. There are certain ideas, phrases, and objects or people that are just kind of capitalized. And they're never truly explained their importance, but it creates this sort of pseudo-mythology for the Vikings. Where uh, there's this concept of the king's things. And it's just capitalized. Or the hard um, way is another. The hard way or fate. Fate is just capitalized. And they don't really go into it, but it gives this sense of even though this is a very silly, very slapstick kind of crude humor book, there is a deeper level of world building here that we don't necessarily need. But you know, it's there. There's enough Mm. there where you understand these Vikings are not just silly people living on a rock. There's history there. Yeah. Like a lot of history there. They get into later (laughs) in the books. There are. It goes. These books are not sort of one-off like, and the next adventure, everything resets. Like, there is a continuity. Mm. And as Hiccup learns more skills and also fish legs and also the, I don't want to say Astrid stand-in, maybe the Astrid inspiration <laughs> eventually is introduced and she learns more skills and they What's all... What's the Astrid stand-in's name? So there is another tribe of Vikings led by a woman named Big Boobied Bertha. Nice. Nice. And her... <laughs> daughter is named kamikaze spelled with a c which is a little huh uh. whoa (laughs) i was not expecting that it's a it's a a little weird pre-world war ii not as bad post-world war ii real bad real bad her character is excellent her name is uh, but her tribe is called the bog burglars and their whole thing is that they're burglars they steal things (laughs) Uh, and so she's she's very loud. She's very combative. She's basically the opposite of Hiccup. Mm. But she's also very good at stealing things. And so that becomes useful in a series of heist books later in the 
later Ooh, in the series. Heist books. Yeah, I there's do like a, a good heist book. There's a book where Toothless burns down the original copy of How to Train Your Dragon. They have to steal the second edition, <laughs> which has like, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's yell at it. And then there's like a second sentence added, which is just like louder or something. <laughs> <laughs> they really uh, did their research to make the second edition better. <laughs> they really did. There's also the character, I don't know if you saw the third How to Train Your Dragon book or movie. But yeah. there's Alvin the Treacherous. Ah, yes. He is Hiccup's rival, a reoccurring villain from the second book on. Ah. His whole thing is that he was one of the banished. Oh. And so he hates Hiccup and he hates Stoic. And he's constantly pulling ruses and schemes and allying with the Romans or different the dragon Romans. factions. The Romans are also a big thing. <laughs> the Romans represent the opposite of the Vikings. The Romans are civilized and pompous and snooty and and they do things with clean hands and by the book. And they're also very over the top and gross in their own way. And then there's mm. the Vikings who are messy and, they loud, and they're loud and they like to hit things. <laughs> and so they're constantly butting heads and the Romans want to expand. The Vikings are pushing back. But Alvin the Treacherous returns again and again and again. And Hiccup has to uh, grow as a Viking. He becomes a very good sword fighter. He becomes mm. an excellent strategist. He gets a second dragon, which he rides like a horse. Ah. He allies himself with different tribes. And at one point, he... Uh, does something in the last book, which I never read. Because <laughs> it came out after I forgot the series existed or something. Valid. Uh, Hiccup's happens. character arc in the movies is probably one of my favorite things. It's so good. Like, you get to see him in the first movie just, like, not sure of himself, not very confident. And then by the end of the series, he's chief, which is super cool. Fun. Yep. <laughs> and also, the he dad. Grows up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and he's a dad. Yeah, it's like he got the a fun epilogue. beard. <laughs> Did you say fun weird? A fun beard. Oh, a fun, yes, a very fun beard. It's also fun weird. Yeah. <laughs> it looks very strange on him. <laughs> I don't like it. Stoics the beard guy, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> to be chief, you must have a beard. <laughs> Off the angle of deep history and lore and cultural influence in these books, in addition to the way it capitalizes certain phrases, it also makes a very ready use of just all caps words or sentences. And I don't know I don't know what the font is that the book is normally written in, but it seems like it has a custom font for those capitalized words. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. typically when a character is speaking. And in most books, when uh, they want to have a character placing an emphasis on a certain word, they'll place it in like italics or something. Like when they want you to read a sentence like, what do you mean go over there as, what do you mean go over there? They'll italicize the word mean. In this book, they just capitalize it yeah. uh, with a custom made scraggly Vikingish font and even Hiccup who is the most meek and sort of uh, demure of all these Vikings when he thinks to himself or says things out loud and places an emphasis on certain words he's it's still capitalized he's still got that Vikingness in him yeah it just further implies the ways in which these people are loud boisterous chaotic people even down to their smallest member yeah there are a number of sentences in the book that are all caps no space just one long string of <laughs> get out of my kitchen before <laughs> it's wonderful I don't know if this ever comes this is super obscure there's this uh, there's this thing in, in history that's often been made use of in various kinds of narratives about Roman legions. And it's specifically in reference to something called the Lost Roman Legion, which you may have heard of at one time or another. That sounds familiar. Are you implying that the legion, the Sea Dragon 8, was the Lost Roman Legion? It could be. Ooh. The, here's the thing. In the book, I believe it says it's the 5th Roman Legion. The Lost Roman Legion in history is this ninth legion, this so-called ninth legion, that essentially marched into the hinterlands of Britain and was never found again, or something like that. Ooh. Interesting. And there's probably various theories. I think there's theories as to whether or not it actually happened, as well as theories as to what could have happened to them, whether they all just kind of got starved out in the brutal north, picked off by the locals, or whether they just sort of ended up having to set up their own pseudo-society. And then I think there's traces of, like, Roman ancestry and peoples that are from that area. So similarly, this is off the beaten path, but there was uh, another Roman legion that after a failed invasion of, I believe it was uh, 
Parthia was then captured and sort of hired off forcibly to some Eastern Moor civilizations defending borders and then eventually potentially found their way to China. And I think there's supposedly still like some Roman or whatever you would say, the combined ethnicities of that legion were people from that area of China today. That's really cool. Yeah. In this book, the Roman legion that the Green Death supposedly devoured before it went into its long sleep coma before the events of this book, it was listed as the fifth legion, which I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know, because I think the ninth legion, the actual historical supposedly lost Roman legion was from the time of the Roman Empire, which comes after the Republic of Rome, which in this book is what the Vikings call Rome. Mm. So we could be much farther back in history. But then again, whatever. We have dragons in this book. It doesn't have to line up perfectly (laughs) with with history. But uh, I did find an interesting analog in the idea of a lost Roman legion in the north that was devoured by a sea dragonus giganticus maximus. I think this book uses the Romans less of a tangible sort of civilization and more of an omnipresent threat, the threat Mm. of civilization. Mm. Because a lot of this book takes place on islands. They're all just on archipelagos. Hmm. I don't know if there's ever an instance where they actually head to the mainland, whatever that may be. The Romans are always encroaching onto different islands or sailing in or threatening from afar. The the geography of the world is very much in question. Also, it mentions that the Sea Dragonists ate the Roman Legion like 300 years ago and then slept. But the Romans are still around and they're very much the same. So maybe time doesn't really work here. Yeah. (laughs) I guess it could be potentially inspired by those Roman Legions you mentioned, Michael, that disappeared kind of going back to the history of this world, the very first chapter of the book mentions that there used to be dragons and that Hiccup is going to tell the reader about a time when there were dragons. So it's kind of implied that eventually the dragons are going to disappear. In his lifetime. Yeah. So I think it kind of sets up the idea that, oh, potentially long ago before you, child, were was born... (laughs) You were born? Okay. <laughs> before you, child, before were Before you, children, whiz were born. Yeah. <laughs> there were dragons. You just don't... It's kind of like dinosaurs, where there used to be dinosaurs on oh, the planet, yeah. but I used to have now. one. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That monologue, it's written from the perspective of older Hiccup before the book. Yeah. That mon- I think they used that monologue in the third movie. Yeah. Or something. It's a really great monologue. It's mm-hmm. great. The moment I read it. dragons when I was a boy. Oh, my gosh. You should read it, Michael, because you have a good reading voice. <laughs> there is one line in here that, um, that, I, that I really like, in addition to the whole thing. But, uh, okay, here is, it's called A Note from the Author. This is how the book uh, technically begins. Here we go. There were dragons when I was a boy. There were great, grim sky dragons that nested on the clifftops like gigantic, scary birds. Little, brown, scuttly dragons that hunted down the mice and rats in well-organized packs. Preposterously huge sea dragons that were twenty times as big as the big blue whale and who killed for the fun of it. You will have to take my word for it, for the dragons are disappearing so fast they may soon become extinct. Nobody knows what is happening. They are crawling back into the sea from whence they came, leaving not a bone, not a fang in the earth for men of the future to remember them by. So, in order that these amazing creatures should not be forgotten, I will tell this true story from my childhood. I was not the sort of boy who could train a dragon with a mere lifting of an eyebrow. I was not a natural at the heroism business. I had to work at it. This is the story of becoming a hero the hard way. And that's how the book begins. Yay! I really love the line, nobody knows what is happening. <laughs> I just really... Because he, he lists out, like, this crazy thing. There were dragons. Like, you couldn't miss them. They were, like, incredible, majestic features of the natural world, unlike anything else. But they are all retreating, all of them at once, into the ocean, which to this day, in the year of our Lord, 2022, um, (laughs) is still a frontier we haven't fully explored. That's true. There Um, could be dragons. And when he says, like, nobody knows what is happening, it just makes you feel already, from the start, the existential weight of it. 
this idea of things that were bigger than we could comprehend in the past that could still be around, and when they vanished, they vanished for reasons that we don't know. It feels very much like the beginning of, I think, The Lord of the Rings or maybe The Hobbit. One of the intros explaining The Hobbit Society where they say, yeah, they're still around, but they're kind of going away, and we don't really know why. So keep an eye out. Also, the dwarves are going away, too. Elves are gone. Man, I remember 50 years ago when they were still walking around. Crazy, huh? Anyway, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Something like that. So the vibes yeah. of, of this grand, fantastical world is very quickly slipping away from our fingers. And I need you to read this book so you can know and remember it before it vanishes from human memory. Wow. When you put it like that, it really does seem to align itself with like the sort of tradition you find in a lot of fantasy about great ages of old that were greater than anything we could imagine now that are slowly declining, slipping away from us as time goes on. I have my own personal thoughts on those narratives. Uh, just, as like, <laughs> just as like life philosophies, I'm not sure they're very useful, but there's a strong tradition of those kinds of philosophies within history, both in terms of very ancient thinkers and their, like, their mythologies, as well as modern-day fantasy and a lot of inspiration of modern-day fantasy. This book's got its claws sunken it deep, huh? Oh, yeah. I highly recommend if you guys are interested reading the next couple of books because it does explore more of the mythology of the world and also builds out more characters. Fishlegs is really, oh, that's a huge spoiler. Never mind. Fishlegs okay. is here. <laughs> He's here. He continues to be helpful. His whole vibe is Hiccup is very non confrontational or he has to learn to stand up for himself. And so he doesn't really want to do things. And Fishlegs knows that he can't do anything. But he really believes that Hiccup can. Mm. So he's constantly pushing Hiccup into situations where he knows Hiccup can handle himself. And he wants Hiccup to prove himself. But Fishlegs knows that he himself cannot do these things. Aww. So oh, he's... What a good nice. friend. Yeah. He's, he's a very good friend. He's very much a, a, a cheerleader of sorts. But in the moment, in all the moments, Hiccup is like, Fishlegs, why? <laughs> Fishlegs, no. Please. <laughs> I don't want to die. And Fishlegs is like, you can do it, Hiccup. <laughs> die. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. When I was at the library looking for this book, I did see there was how to speak like a pirate or something Interesting. like that. So I'm assuming at some point Hiccup will encounter pirates. So that's cool. Yes. That's the second book. It's the only oh, book the in the book. series that doesn't have the word dragon in it. Huh. Oh, Okay. I thought it was way down the line because I assumed, <laughs> I don't know. Like it was maybe part of some branching series? Yeah, yeah, or... yeah, They really go for it. They introduce a lot of new dragons in every book. And I believe some of the later books have more of those cool dragon stat sheet entries and Ooh. also more dictionary style dragonese translations. There are a couple of companion books that do have like just full dragon stat sheets from tail to end that's or from cool. beginning to that's end awesome. makes me think of like what the del toro quest did with its monsters yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i had a really good time as a kid reading those and just picking my favorites and imagining <laughs> who would be your dragon of choice um just knowing how hard to control they are <laughs> fish legs dragon horror cow which is a common slash garden dragon so kind of like the i don't know the golden retriever of dragons <laughs> who just likes to sleep and is generally considered a vegetarian, that's my kind of dragon. <laughs> I don't need I don't need a dragon to, like, ride me into battle or fight off monsters. I just want a friend. Yeah. <laughs> just a buddy. Nice. What would you have, Victoria? I don't know From, from what limited array is available from the first book? Um, monstrous you... Nightmare. <laughs> yeah, not the Monstrous Nightmare could not handle that. <laughs> Basically, any kind of dragon quote that you can imagine they exist in the series there okay. are dragons who turn invisible there are tiny Ooh. little poisonous dragons there's a whole there's one of the books is a really funny plot where uh hiccup and everyone else believes that fish likes has been stung by one of these very poisonous dragons and he's gonna die in like 24 hours and fish likes is super super sick he's like Ooh. basically in a coma <sighs> and so hiccup goes to the elders and says i need to cure my best friend what do i do and the elders say you need a potato <laughs> the potato will cure fish legs. And so Hiccup has to travel to the new world and get a and, potato. And get a potato. There's some shenanigans where a potato has already been stolen from the new world, so he doesn't actually have to go all the way. But then Alvin the Treacherous has the potato, and the Romans need the potato, and there's a whole thing. <laughs> and 
Hiccup manages to shoot the potato with an arrow and is like carrying it that way, but then the potato gets lost. Someone takes the potato and Hiccup returns home without the potato. And he's like, oh my God, Fish Legs is going to die. And Fish Legs is like, Hiccup, I'm fine. It was just seasonal allergies. I'm okay. <laughs> and Hiccup was like, oh, dang. And then Hiccup falls over. It is revealed that Hiccup was the one that was stung and he just had a delayed reaction. That's so now Hiccup's going to die. What? And in a moment of genius, I think Kamikaze stabs Hiccup with the potato arrow and it cures him. Ah, because and the arrow still has some potato left some potato on it. <laughs> and the book ends with Hiccup planting the arrow, hoping a potato tree will grow. <laughs> so no one has to die <laughs> from that dragon again. That's really funny. It's your Viking great. logic. Yes. <laughs> I think the dragon I would want is, well, I would want one that I could probably like ride because I want to be able to fly. That would be super cool. <laughs> priority one. Yes. Priority one. I want to be able to fly. The invisibility thing does sound cool. But honestly, personality-wise, I love Toothless from the movies because he's just like a big old cat. Yeah. And I want that as a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Night Fury. Yeah. It is unfortunate that these dragons are so sentient that you can't really you can't really treat them like pets. Yeah. Like they can act like one, but really you have to regard them as an equal. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I just want a big cat. Yeah. There is one of the books, Hiccup allies himself with a nation of tiny dragons the size of his thumbnail. Huh? Uh, and like he this. he like saves like their king or their prince or something. They do talk like that, Victoria. <laughs> yes, they do. And the continuity in these books is incredible. The Invisible Dragons, I believe, are guarding the Meathead Public Library or something like that. They <laughs> basically in one of the books he steals an invisible dragon, and then several books later they use that invisible dragon to go on a second heist or something like that. They call wow. it a stealth dragon. What would be your dragon, Michael? Oh gosh. It's like now or young Michael, because young Michael was afraid of pugs. So, <laughs> so young Michael would have been like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't. <laughs> you would get a common, young Michael would have a common dragon. Oh, yeah. I, w I wouldn't be like Toothless where I'm just like, you know, dang it. I throw fish legs, my dragon. I have to quickly go scrounge yeah, yeah. one up and I, I feel the presence of the small one. Okay, grab it. It would have been like, what is the smallest dragon here? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what would adult Michael choose? Adult Michael? A lot of options. You got dragons that turn into giant flaming wheels and roll down mountains. You got shark dragons. You got Ooh. horse dragons. You got rainbow dazzling dragons. The whole <gasps> thing is that they just blind you with their dazzling light. Wait, I didn't know there were rainbow dazzling dragons. <sighs> it I'm sounds just... like I got to read the rest of these before I can yeah. <laughs> even make like an educated... They're I'm... all fun. They're all good. <laughs> the uh, creators of the films really knew what they were going for when they created... Uh... Everybody will love this dragon. It is. It is very tempting to go... For, for a toothless style dragon as most people. He's just so cute. He's just so cute. He's got so much personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While not being sentient enough and selfish enough to tell me to go soak my head and take advantage of me because Lord knows <laughs> I would do exactly what Hiccup did particularly if I was that age and just be like here's your mud bath, here's your fish and, and Tiny Toothless would be like oh yes I love it, now get me more. <laughs> yeah. But maybe I'd get a tiny toothless just for that. Just having a fun little friend around who I'm like, yeah, we take advantage. <laughs> this is a codependent relationship. Just constantly criticizing you and demanding things from you. <laughs> he's he's a fun little scamp toothless in this book. Gosh, what a great pair of entertainment pieces we've gotten from just these works. I know. It makes me want to rewatch the How to Train Your Dragon movies again. It makes me want to rewatch and it makes me want to read the rest of the series. Yeah. yeah. Because Wait, I was just having okay. a good time. Hot take time. What's your favorite How to Train Your Dragon movie of the three? Do you have do you have a preference? Yes. Yes. Which <laughs> Michael's one? Michael's like there's only one right answer. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the first one, hands down. Okay. Okay. Victoria? Well, now I can't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, you no can. the first one is great. The first one, like, it's so special and it's so well written, and the dynamic between all the characters is so well done. But the second movie also has, like, a special place in my heart as well. That's the one where he meets his mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just love the interaction he has with his mom. It's, like, really sweet when she kind of reconciles with Stoic and 
finds out, oh, like, you changed your mind about dragons. I mean, it is still kind of questionable that she just left Hiccup and her family, but <laughs> she was kidnapped. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she could have walked back, I suppose. Yeah. It was a little fast and loose. It was kind of like she was kidnapped. She's like, my baby. And then she was like, actually, I like it better. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm a cat lady. <laughs> yeah, which is valid. But she becomes like this awesome, like, dragon. Not tamer, but she's like a, like, she's just like, like a dragon, dragon master. master per- yeah, she has dragon, like a dragon friend. Dragon tails, dragon tails. <laughs> her character, I think, is kind of inspired by the book character, Vala. I think her name is Valorama or something. Oh, Hiccup's mom. Hiccup's yeah. mom. Valhalorama. Valhalorama. <laughs> Another amazing or, name. Valhalorama. I guess that would be the. <laughs> Uh, Hiccup's mom is just kind of like a very, very much a side character in the first book, but it becomes a thing where she's always away questing for the for most oh. of the rest of the series. Oh. And Hiccup at one point goes like, where's my mom? I miss my mom. Aww. Like, my mom's just never around. Mm-hmm. And that's really, like, bumming me out. And it's bumming Stoic out. Yeah. And it's bumming my mom's ex-lover out, who's also here. What? What? <laughs> and then uh, there's a book Whoa, where... Whoa, the romantic drama. <laughs> yes. And then there's a, a book where Hiccup's mom finally comes back and says, I'm sorry I was gone for so long. I'm finally here to stay. Let's I bond. I like that was, all, was worse than what happened in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> At least in the movies, it was like, I was kidnapped. When you were too young to have yeah. memory. <laughs> I mean, you could put it as Hiccup's mom choosing to leave Hiccup alone, or... Another way to put it is Hiccup's mom was just working an overseas job because she was actively doing things to help the tribe, I think. Yeah. (laughs) By Viking standards, probably murdering a lot of uh, inhabitants of coastal settlements and taking their gold. Yes. (laughs) Good for her. A respectable profession for the day. (laughs) Yeah. I think I like the second movie a lot because I love how it expands on Hiccup and Toothless's relationship and they like learn how to do cool tricks together because the whole thing is like Hiccup lost a leg and Toothless lost half of his fin. And so the two of them need each other to fly and they get to train. It's just, I like that a lot. Like the first movie is so good because of that relationship. And so I love the second movie even more because it expands on that relationship. Yeah. If that makes sense. I feel you. The second movie, but like the first movie is like right under there, you know? (laughs) Also the technological leap in terms of. Yes, it looks so good. Also Hiccup's character design is great. The first one is great. I mean, it's got, it had Roger Deakins on it, which was like, oh my gosh, it looks amazing. But the second one, the the leaps in their capacity to render the world in animated form. Again, so much of it looks both romantic and yet physical and real. Mm. I can, I could just brush Stoic's beard. (laughs) I can feel its coarseness, its straw-like texture in my hand. This massive brick of a man. (laughs) At the very end of this book. There's a, what would you call it? The afterword of Hiccup, Horrendous Haddock Third. Oh, yeah. I won't read the full thing like I did the opening. He's sort of talking about this part of his quote-unquote memoir about the events he's gone through and some of the ramifications as well as thinking back again on the idea, reminding the reader, where I am now in my adult life, all the dragons are gone or going. And he just sort of reflects on... Something that he heard from the Green Death when it was destroyed, which is something that doesn't get touched on a whole lot in this first book, but it's a a death song. Yes. Mm. When you die, you sing your last song. And it's, for the dragons, usually about food. Because that's (laughs) what they like. (laughs) I, too, would sing a song about food when I die. Mmm, pizza. (laughs) But for Hiccup, he describes, and this is another little tidbit that aligns the Green Death with a sort of distant, eldritch, grander-than-reality feeling, which is that even after the eldritch, uh, the eldritch death, the Green Death has been gone for many years, and Hiccup is an adult, he still has a tooth from the thing. And he describes when he leans close to the tooth, it's still sharp enough that it can cut and even spill blood on the page. And when you're looking at this book, it's got these little black stains on it that I think are supposed to be blood stains from when Hiccup cut his hand just touching that tooth. They're just sprinkled throughout this book, and you only learn what they are at the very end. Oh, yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. I thought they were, like, ink splatters. They could be that. Yeah. They're probably that. No, but I really like that. I like the idea that 
as Hiccup was writing, or I maybe mean, it maybe, would be a lot of bloody lost if because the, there's a lot true. of ink stains. Maybe it's just this last well, page. Well, potentially like let's say like he just finished writing the book and he's reviewing it and he's about to write the epilogue and he touches this tooth oh. and then it cuts his hand and he's like oh and then, and then some blood of the... goes everywhere. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Oh, I can publish and then this. It's fine. <laughs> but there's this last little um poem, the Green Death's song. And the Green Death earlier in the book describes that sea dragon that he ate singing its death song when it's still in the Green Death's belly. Again, talking about things that it likes to eat. But this Green Death's ongoing reverberating through its tooth years after its its death, its uh, death song is written thusly. Once I set the sea alight with a single fiery breath. Once I was so mighty that I thought my name was death. Sing out loud until you're eaten, song of melancholy bliss. For the mighty and the middling all shall come to this. And you're like, oh, and then there's a last little line, not a part of the song. It's just what Hiccup writes. And it says, the supper is still singing. And I finished this, and it was 11 p.m. at night, and I stared into the dark for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to hit that because it's a heck of a way to end a kid's book. Yeah. Any last thoughts? My last thought is that um, another reason why I like the second movie (laughs) 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 is because Hiccup has a cool sword that is fire, and then it... Like is active. It has gas that's activated when Toothless like spits fire out, and it's awesome. Anyways, <laughs> I love these movies, and this book is great, and the world building is so good. So good. I just want to not live in the world because I would not survive, but I want to like just immerse myself in the world. Just yeah. the vibes. Yeah, I if want I could the vibes. Drink the vibes is a, is a strong How to Train Your Dragon tea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. My last thought is I agree with Victoria. I think the second movie is. A better movie, but I feel more nostalgic towards the first one. <laughs> ah, that score oh. and just the shots of the scenery of the island. I still listen to that soundtrack when, like, I need like writing inspiration or just oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. study music or whatever. That's where it's it's at. so good. My I'm favorite cheesed. one is "Forbidden Friendship," the oh. best sound, <laughs> the best track. It just makes my heart happy every time I hear it. "How to Train Your Dragon" by Cressida Cowell. Check it out. Go to your library. Rent the whole series and all the companion novels, and then read them, and then make your own podcast. Get a million listens. (laughs) What are you doing? Stealing our audience. How could you? We don't have to include that. (laughs) I think we should. Well, until next time, what do we got? Until next time, yell at it. (laughs) (laughs) The louder, the better. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Nostalgia Club. If you enjoyed the episode, follow us on Twitter at underscore Nostalgia Club and on Instagram at Nostalgia Club Podcast. Leave a comment, give us a rating, and subscribe. You can also send us an email with your suggestions for what we should review next at nostalgiaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Trying to remember everything that happened to Hydra and Dragon, the book, and not the movie. Oh, one of my questions was, at one point, the purple death shows up. And I was like, who is that? It's just another one. It just appears. Why is just another dragon shows up? Yeah. I was really confused. It is another one. Because the only way it. to have it go away in the plot was to have <laughs> two of them kill each other. Valid. Okay. Anyways. Hello. Hi, Casey. How's it going? Going well. I'm just looking for some beads and a flute. Ooh. Is this for Foley? Yeah. Okay. Well, while you're... Oh, um I found one. Oh, nice. It's made in India. Nice. <laughs> sounds sounds like a, a blowgun perfect very nice um while you're looking for foley equipment um i wanted to tell you about how to train your dragon but not the movie the book is it better than the movie it's actually it's good but the like the movie is great but actually the book is also really good i'm gonna tell you all about it in 60 seconds all right so we've got hiccup who you know is the son of the chief of burke uh, Stoic the Vast, and instead in the book, um, in this world, all of the people in Burke have dragons. Like, they actively hunt and hunt for dragons and train them, and they become, like, 
um, they're not like pet dragons, but like they're companions and whatnot. So Hiccup and his group of other like train, like boy, trainees, <laughs> I'm doing so bad. Um, they're sent on a mission to go and uh, collect their own dragon. And if they don't get a dragon, they are, uh, shame is brought upon their family. They get their dragons. Oh, wow. um, Hiccup actually gets like the most common of common dragons. And then they're put on a trial where they're supposed to prove that they can train a dragon, um, but they all fail. And so they are banished by law, by Viking law. They have to be banished into um, the wastelands where they're supposed to die. But then uh, a giant dragon washes on shore and they no longer have to be banished because Hiccup saves the day. <laughs> was... Nothing like the movie. No, it's not. I kind of like the movie better. <laughs> the book is still pretty good. I just summarized it badly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just, you know, I, I like the idea of them having to, the, the bond, and it's pretty cat-like, and obviously, you know, the music score is, the music score, I, I actually walked down the aisles of the score of uh, Train Your Dragon. Whoa, we didn't know that. That's awesome. It's a great score. Great choice. James Horner, I believe? Yeah. So that's one of my favorites. No. <laughs> No, it's not James Horner. Who is it? It's John Powell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wait, yeah, which great... which song did you choose? Uh, so I edited together. Uh, it's the their their initial the initial flight. Ah, yes. Good choice. Like good choice. The most powerful one in there. This is really really good. Yeah, it's great. Well. That's cool. Thanks so much for listening to my um, butchered re- rendition of the plot summary. Perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just brought it from my suit. No, it's great.